Welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. Today we've got a special episode for you. We're bringing in our special guest, Crops and Soil Agent Kevin Jarek. But first, our normal crew is here. We've got Bill Schombert. Hey, guys. Todd Schombert. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So we could say a lot about our, our guest today, crops and soil agent for, uh, is it division of extension? Is that how we're supposed to refer to you now, Kevin? Kevin Jarek, welcome. Yes, we want to make sure we use all the letters in the alphabet. <laughs> so it's UW-Madison Division of Extension, Regional Crops and Soils Educator, out of Gamey and Winnebago Counties. Uh, say that five so times. Throw the regional in there now. Yes. I'm, so. gl- I'm glad you did it, not me. Now I don't have to repeat it, but because uh, <laughs> you couldn't, we've we've all known Kevin for a long time. We were just talking before the podcast. You're coming up on 25 years of education, whether it's uh, at the high school level, which is where we all met you, or you've been with Extension for a better yep. part of that 25 so years. 20, 24 years on September 1st at Extension, four years at uh, Seymour High School, four very fun years, memorable years. Uh, years that Especially still, that first one. Yeah, you know, uh, sometimes you, you don't appreciate uh, your surroundings uh, when you step into, you know, just the perfect situation uh, in year one. <laughs> and, uh, so. That couldn't have been farther from the truth, that statement there, Kev. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I, I'm representing the university, and we always try and put a positive spin Got on, it. Got on it. things. So. so aside from being a representative of the university and a regional crops educator, you are also a Packers owner. Packers owner, let's Yay. go. Not just an owner, but somebody who has consulted with the president of the Packers. And so uh, I ran into uh, Packers president, Mark Murphy, in the uh, Packers Pro Shop uh, about a year ago at this time. And uh, you can find out the exact date by looking at when Rogers was released. No, 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 not that Rogers, Amari, Amari Rogers, <laughs> because he had just messed up another uh, return or fumble or whatever wasn't producing. And uh, I actually got to talk with Mark and I told him I was a uh, shareholder and neatest thing ever. This is why this guy has his job. He put his hand on my shoulder and said, no, you're an owner, not a shareholder, <laughs> shareholder. you're an owner. So uh, you are uh, and. We'll take a picture later to commemorate this, but you are wearing a Green Bay Packers shareholder shirt as we talked to you on the podcast today, and you've got the hat, you know, so. And it's got wear on it, so this isn't yep. a, a fair feather fan. I, I like the, fan the bling. It's got some weathering. The bling on the hat, too, the, yes. the sparkly uh, shareholder. Name, do you, but, you remember when Kevin sent us the picture with Mark Murphy? I do. Yeah. And he had to send, remember what you did, Kevin, to prove that it wasn't a cardboard cutout? What did you do so that we wouldn't so that we would believe you and weren't just like yeah you're in the pro shop next to I a cardboard more cup. than one had more than one photo and I had multiple people say to me that's not real that's a cardboard cutout and my response was well Mark Murphy's famous but he's not that famous that the average person with a cardboard cutout and then my response was gee I didn't know cardboard cutouts changed their smile or expression <laughs> right. as far as uh, right. one photo to the next so uh, yes that that. I like that he had to anticipate that ahead, that we would not believe No one's going to believe yeah. this. Yeah. I'm going to tell him this. We're like, whatever, Kevin. You didn't tell We Mark just Murphy established I've spent four years at the high school level and 28 with the university. I am constantly thinking how people are going to tell me I'm wrong, what I said is inaccurate, or uh, you need to back that up or prove it five ways till Sunday because nobody's going to believe someone from the government. So, no, it over, overlaps in my personal life. And as, as you say, Todd, yep, I, I thought this is great, but... How am I going to make sure people uh, believe this is real? So when they were selling the the chunks of frozen tundra, did you buy enough to do you sleep on a bit of frozen tundra at home? Or unfortunately, well, hopefully it's not frozen. Unfortunately, I was a uh, very young high school teacher 
when the Packers won the Super Bowl in 96 and uh, uh, could barely uh, afford other necessities. So uh, one of my regrets is I did not get the original uh, Tundra piece. But uh, if I did, uh, you've given me an idea now how to, <laughs> yeah. how to incorporate that into my uh, home lifestyle, Matt. So thanks for that. <laughs> you, you always come up with uh, outside-the-box uh, uh, answers to questions nobody asked. That's right. So. That's, it's my superpower. <laughs> you just... Yes, you just explain Matt's hosting ability is perfect. I love that. Kevin, if you if you run into Mark Murphy this weekend when you're at the Packers Pro Shop, it's a bye week. What advice are you gonna have for him with Packers? Like what are we what are we doing wrong? Are we just a young, dumb team? Are we he actually, are we total train wrecked? What what do you think? Go ahead, Bill. No, I, I'm curious. The, I was listening to some stuff on the radio on the way in this morning and he actually was the one that like way back this summer, you know, he he likes to talk right during the during the off season. And he was the one that like we're young, we're gonna have good weeks, and then we're gonna have really bad ones. Like he said that way back when. So maybe he'll just remind Kevin that this is the way it's gonna be this year. You know, we we started with my first year at Seymour and uh, had maybe a little sarcasm there, but uh, people forget. What was the Packers' record in 2008 when Aaron Rodgers took over a 13-3 and team from Brett Favre that was one interception in overtime away from making the Super Bowl? 6-10. and 6-10. There's a Packers fan. I was there when they lost 24-21 to to the Texans in December of 2008 and thought, man... We just can't seem to pull this off. It's a home game, a dome team from the south. We ought to smoke these guys. But uh, at the end of the day, one of the things people forget is that who was Aaron Rodgers in his rookie year throwing the ball to? Oh, I don't know. A guy named Donald Driver, a guy named Greg Jennings. Then what do they do? They draft a second-round wide receiver because we don't draft first-round receivers uh, in Green Bay. Name Named Jordy Nelson. See, Bill anticipated where I was going with this, and so that's the luxury of having been around for a while. Uh, people get to know your thoughts and patterns, and uh, the reality is uh, that Rodgers went 6-10. and 10. He hurt his shoulder in Tampa Bay on the road, and people were making comparisons. Oh, see, he's not Brett Favre, the Iron Man. Brett, yep. Brett was indestructible, and here he hasn't even made it through half a season, and he's hurt. Well, good grief, Charlie Brown. Uh, <laughs> as far as the receivers, I don't think Rod, excuse me, uh, Jordan Love is throwing to Greg Jennings, um, is throwing to Donald Driver, a veteran. He's working with a bunch of young people. He might be, but they aren't there now. Thank you. you. You beat me to it, and that's what I was going to say. What we have right now is potential. Potential isn't realized immediately. Go across the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL. How many teams win the championship every year? Nobody. Even the New England dynasty, what are they doing right now as far as the Patriots? Seven Super Bowls for Tom Brady. What do they look like without him? Belichick's going to get fired. (laughs) You would think Belichick was the worst coach ever if you turned on the television and your history with the New England Patriots started right now Mm -hmm. because rebuilding is hard. And I think that's kind of how I always look for things in sports that you can translate into life, and that is when you find good people, keep them. doesn't matter if they're in your professional life, your personal life, or wherever, because when you lose those people – don't assume you're going to be able to replace them immediately. And it's never about replacing them exactly. It's can I find someone who has the same skill set, the same knowledge, the same character, integrity, transparency, honesty to help me get where I need to be, either professionally or personally. What the Packers are going to find out is that if Christian Watson can stay healthy, that guy is going to be a threat, Mm -hmm. a home run threat all the time. Dobbs looks like he's going to be a Donald Driver type player. Not the fastest player down the field, but a consistent, we need to pick this third down uh, yardage up, and and he makes it. He's going to uh, have have a very good number as far as receptions. And so I think it's about patience. We live in a society now where 
Everything is instantaneous. If I want something, I Google it. I pick, take my uh, phone, whether it's an iPhone or an Android, and I uh, look on uh, Snapchat, YouTube, uh, um, TikTok, and whatever I, I want to have to satisfy my curiosity is there. Well, people forgot that years ago we actually had to earn stuff. Lombardi said the only place uh, where success comes before work is in the dictionary. <laughs> How many people even know what a dictionary yeah, is right. anymore? Because <laughs> yeah. you have Microsoft Word and you just look for synonyms, antonyms, and spell check. <laughs> Who has a hard copy dictionary? That's actually uh, dictionary.com. Ah, <laughs> remember what I said about answers to the questions nobody asked? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Welcome. Right. Oh. I just was looking at because Kevin's comparing the wide receivers. But even the offensive line is unbelievable. Of especially Bakhtiari getting hurt. I mean, yeah. we have a good line if Bakhtiari's in there. But with him being hurt and looking back to the 08, he had Clifton, Darren College, Scott Wells, Jason Spitz, and Tauscher. That Rogers was behind and still went, you know, six and ten with, with. That eight. was a top ten offensive oh, line a, in the league, maybe top five. Right. Yep. So you're right to say there's things that are even if we're winning games through this with guys getting hurt and you know not realizing our full potential is is probably why so that's that's a good analogy Kevin I like that it's kind of like the growing season every year we spend time and money and effort on all right, I got to select the right genetics. I got to look for what my fields responded to last year and try and anticipate what they're going to need or what I can do to improve on the following year. We spend all this time on nutrient management, as you folks well know, uh, an exorbitant amount of time. Then we uh, think about pest control, whether it's insects, disease, otherwise. And uh, lastly, when it's all said and done, the final yield is more heavily influenced by one thing water too much or too little mm -hmm. and hello 2023 growing season right <laughs> that uh, for those who got rainfalls in a timely manner their yields were 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 right on par for those who had rainfalls go around them we had corn silage harvested with disc binds over in hortonville because the rain always spread the long way and that corn was harvested in late july because the field was doing nothing but go backwards so it's really hard to make generalities and when it comes to whether it's the packers or the growing season people just like to try and sum everything together and have a answer and unless you break down the individual pieces as you just did Todd I brought up the difference in receivers you brought up the difference in offensive line and it's like okay did they have the same resources anybody who is objective at all would be able to realize Aaron Rodgers had a better situation around him and still only went six and ten I think that's a great segue into our topic or one of our topics to discuss today and so you've been doing some alternative forage research as a supreme judge of world forage super bowl you you are an authority i think on forage as far as we're concerned so what is your what are your thoughts on one alternative forages and what have you seen in the research that is either positive negative both you know what are you what are you seeing out there so when I look at my career in extension, I've spent a lot of time on forages just because we have 1.25 million cows in the state and we have a very dynamic and thriving dairy industry here in particular in Northeast Wisconsin, not just Outagamie County. And so when we look at the costs on a farm, sure, you have the expense of the land and the buildings, but after that, what's the biggest expense? feeding that cow every single day no matter what the growing season throws at it and the way i got involved with these alternative forages was hello 2018 hello 2019 hello 2020 well 2018 if we recall it got really wet was a terrible harvest as far as trying to get things out of the field that fall and then when we thought that was bad <laughs> knock knock well, hello, 2019, the worst growing season in 50 years. I haven't talked to anybody who's got 20 or 30 years on me who says there was a worst year. Uh, maybe in 1960, whatever, there was a year that was similar or comparable. But for many people who are 50 years or younger, 2019 was the worst. It's funny because this year with the growing season, I got interviewed um, by Green Bay Media and Television, and one of the reporters asked, well, 
this is like the worst year in recent history, isn't it? And I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> what? No. Uh, 2019, we couldn't it's, even get things planted. Yeah. Uh, so, no, as, as, as big of an inconvenience and as frustrating as this year was, it is not the most. And I think that's the problem. We have recency bias, whether it's with the Packers, the growing season, or, or things in general. That's what's in our mind at the moment. So unless we take the time to actually put time and effort into reflecting back what the other circumstances were, it's hard to um, make a fair comparison. So the reason I throw 2020 in, in there is by the time we got to May of 2020, we had the lowest hay stocks in recorded history in the state of Wisconsin since records began in 1950. So when you're the lowest in 70 years in any category, that's a bad sign. Yeah. And so... It was born out of the fact that farmers can't feed their cows gold bars, paper dollar bills, or whatever. We have to find forage to put in front of them, and these alternative forages uh, uh, fit the bill. And so I was fortunate to work with the Midwest Forage Association, got a grant to do a um, quality survey while we were in the 2020 growing season, and we were limited with what we could do as far as travel and interacting with people at that time. Oh, yeah. We were still in COVID, weren't we? <laughs> yes. I'm going to let you say that word because uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm doing everything I can to stay away from it. Uh, don't look back. Look forward. But we can't look forward without visiting, visiting the past. And, yes, 2020 was a year where all we could really do is get quality info. But Carrie Lobosky... Uh, when she saw the work I was doing on one of our telecom statewide teleconferences, said, hey, I'm getting questions from people about nutrient applications, not how much nitrogen, how much potassium, what are the needs of these crops? So from there, we decided to do replicated research. And I'm uh, happy to say and just want to say thank you to Tilth Agronomy as a partner in that research because people not, may not be aware, but a lot of the grants have requirements that you have in-kind support and donations that go with them. It's very rare you come across a grant funding source that says, oh, we'll give you all the money you need to cover everything from A to Z. No, you have to show that you have investment from others. And the nice thing about this grant project is I was able to uh, work with uh, seed companies. I was able to work with uh, individuals like uh, uh, the consultants here at Tilth Agronomy because I can't harvest all those plots myself. I can't pull the three-foot samples multiple times a year that are, are required in order to do that. I could, but it would probably not be very accurate data because you need to harvest it all kind of at the same time. So it's not even a matter of will. It's a matter of the integrity of data it means we need to do all of this consistently in a couple-hour time period. And so um, the, the long and short of it is the research that we've been doing has been recognized nationally. And the reason for that is I was asked last year to present at the uh, World Dairy Expo as a part of the uh, forage seminars, and there was nobody else in the country who had done as much work as we did on this topic. And it isn't just in Wisconsin, it's elsewhere. People are looking for this information. So as far as the specifics of what, what did we learn from, from the last couple of years, what I like to tell people is, you look at any farm, when I walk onto a farm, and you generally have three tiers of land. You have your top stuff where you can just drop seed out of the bag randomly and it's going to grow because there's good drainage, good fertility, great conditions. You have your middle range soils where it's like, okay, if I manage things right, it's going to be good. But on any given year, those low spots, if it's alfalfa, they're going to drown out. But we're not going to spend the money on tiling because it's, it's, it's adequate and we have limited stuff. Then you have your third tier. It's the rented land far away where we, we need spreadable acres for nutrient management and other things. It maybe isn't as high as fertility, doesn't have the drainage. And what I would say is that Kevin Jark has never said, don't plant alfalfa. There's no forage crop we can harvest that has more protein than alfalfa. But when we look at the establishment costs of alfalfa up front, if you're going to spend three, four, five hundred dollars getting that established, and it turns out to be an annual as it was in 2018, 19, and 20, that's a problem. Yeah. We, we aren't going to be around farming long if, if we have those. So my, my take is we can go ahead, use a 
warm season, cool season, annual alternative forage crop, we can patch our needs as far as um, meeting emergency forage needs, but we can also be selective about saying, I'm going to spend my top dollar on my first two tiers of land, and if I need to grow forage on my third tier acreage, rather than spending money on just straight alfalfa, maybe I look at a crop like this. The other good thing too, Kev, is I've used on other farms with that scenario of the the tiered ground is the bottom tier is normally bottom tier ground. We're going to grow corn, right? It's annual. Maybe we'll throw soybeans in there, but if it's a dairy, we may not need soybeans. It just doesn't fit, right? We need forage, not a cash crop. So this is a good way to break up that crop rotation of corn too. throw that one year, two years of something else in there that you can actually get something off of. You're not spending a dollars on, on alfalfa, cost of of uh, establishment you're spending b or c dollars on establishment costs and getting a decent i mean we're getting pretty good yields off your plots that we're doing yeah so the way to look at it and i think the nice thing about having been in this career for over two decades is i always try and look at a crop enterprise budget or i try and go back to finances because at the end of the day we have our anecdotal observations we can say oh this looks like good feed but what does it come out as far as dollars and cents for us? And when we look at an alfalfa field, yes, when we establish it, we're going to be three hundred, three or four hundred dollars in arrears, even after we harvest the new seeding cuttings, just because of the cost of establishment. All we need is one full production year that following year of alfalfa, and we're back in the black. We're going to be fine. But the problem is where we said, if that alfalfa winter kills, now you're out several hundred dollars and you can't even recoup it. And now you have to plant another crop anyway. With these alternative forages, if you look at a crop enterprise budget and you get reasonable tonnage, and most importantly, you manage it and harvest dairy quality. People think alternative forages, oh, that means I can just, it's like a prairie, native prairie plant in Wisconsin. It was originally here, so all I got to do is let it grow and I don't have to manage it or look at it. No, alternative forages require more management as far as monitoring and um, making sure that you time harvest correctly to harvest the highest quality feed. But the reward is you don't have the same downside risk of losing a crop if it, if it turns out to be a poor growing season with it, as it could be with an alfalfa stand for example and when i've run the budgets you can clear 50 90 100 dollars in the black by planting that stand as opposed to taking a risk with a different crop so no i i would say that it's another tool for the toolbox does it fit every farm no just like you said about soybeans if we can only grow forage we have to commit to uh, that acreage even though it'd be good to use beans to break up the pest cycle and the nice thing is some of these mixes contain legumes like hairy vetch so you are going away from the grass plant which is corn even though there's grasses in the mix you do get legumes in there that does help i think what you just said is important too because when we first started talking about alternative forages, I think there were people that thought, oh, well, we're replacing alfalfa. And, and that's not necessarily the case. And in fact, I don't think at all the case. It's more of a supplement to, it's something you can do when you need it. It's something you can use potentially, especially in those wet years when we had full pits to put manure out if you're a dairy situation. Um, and it's something to, it's still a breaking up of a rotation. It gets you, you know, if you do it on, ground where you're doing corn on corn at least gives you a break for a little while which we know rotation is important so it's not was never meant to be i don't think anyone was trying to present it as a replacement for alfalfa by any means but it was a supplement and that's yeah oh i yeah. thought you matt's trying to rebrand the name alternative forages yes, complimentary forages yes i knew you were going there <laughs> so the this alternative can mean not that it means bad, it's another option, but when you say alternative, a lot of times it, you think that that's not as good. So or it's instead of. It's right. secondary. It's, se- it's yes. in lieu of, y- right. yes. in place of. So, so Matt is rebranding the alternative forage, and, and he his brand name is now Complementary Forage so because it's just, supposed to like 
basically there's just this other option that still is good and it'll complement your current option. So what do you think of that, Kevin? Well, the first thing I think is a graduate of Bondowell High School, go Bears. <laughs> it's the spelling capital of the world. So Matt, when we spell complimentary forage, <laughs> we need to make sure it's with an E, not an I, because we're not complimenting the forage that it's right. great. Can I tell you complimentary how we, yeah. with an E meaning supplementary or in addition. That's next level right there, Kevin. Like <laughs> none of us would have <laughs> figured that out. I mean that's that's next level spelling B. Well we might want to compliment it on its doing well too. But right. Yeah. Bill's complimenting me with an right. I right now on my me pointing out the common mistake people make is they use the word complimentary with an I when they really meant it with an E. Yeah. And so grammar the, counts. The complimentary with E, yes. Combining in such a way as to enhance or emphasize the qualities of each other or another's. Perfect. You're right, Kevin. That's next level. <laughs> Todd, Todd, Todd. Perfect. Well, the looks I get from my third grader when we're going through her spelling words every night, and it's like, why does this have an E at the end? And why is this two E's? And this is an E-A. And yeah. Now and my, then my senior looks at her and goes, yeah, English sucks. My fifth grader had a similar question. I can't even remember what he asked. But he's like, even before I could say, is it because English sucks? I'm like, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a complicated language. I before E, except, except after, after C. C. Yep. Right, and we, I believe we can find examples where even that, that rule yeah, doesn't, that doesn't hold true all the time. Yep, yep. Uh, compared to other languages, people who are multilinguistic, I believe they find more coherence in other languages, even though they do genders and other things with those words. There are things in the English language uh, that we can pick out words there, for example, as far as three different spellings uh, in a contraction in there. And uh, we could really get sidetracked what, on, why? On, on, on Bondowell and spelling. I was going to say, why, why is Bondowell the spelling capital of Wisconsin? What, where does that even come from, Kevin? That is So when I was a young lad attending Bondowell school system, started out at Navarino Elementary, uh, then, then after That's where it second. comes from. <laughs> All those Navarino kids just <laughs> pumping in. Yep. The Navarino kids were a compliment to the uh, bond, existing Bondowell so students. Irony. That would be an E. They supplemented in an exceeding way, not just an equal way, but they brought the average up as far as uh, stuff. But no, Bondowell won the st spelling bee like six of eight years from 81 through 88. And so there was actually a... Um, motion introduced in the assembly to recognize Bondowell as the spelling capital of Wisconsin. So you can't make this up. The only problem is you folks, Bill might be the only one on the cusp um, being five years younger than me. How many letters do we use to abbreviate states with? Two normally. Two. Two. Normally. I like how you qualified that subconsciously. Normally, Bill. Like normally. Where are you going with this, Kevin? But normally it's two. Normally it's two. Wisconsin is... W-I. W-I. When you look at the sign that's still up in Bondowell celebrating our spelling capital. Really? W-I-S. Really? Yep. It still says W-I-S. When I was in school, we still spelled states with three mm. letters, not two. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like talking about the 60s Packers. Uh, the, the 80s Bondowell spelling team, boy, that was a, that was a real, real group there. But... We digress. How did we go all the way from alternative forages? Oh, complimentary. Yes. That's where we started with this. But one of my pet peeves is when I see people use the wrong form of the word, I want to say to them, smarten up. So, my wife got You should a, not read anything online then. The, <laughs> the grammar and the, like, when I read articles online all the time, it's like, I do the same thing. It's like, okay, you didn't even spell this word right or even, like... You half, someone half typed something. Does proofreading come right. into proofreading play anymore? Do people anymore. proofread other people's things? No. And look at look at uh, texting and uh, social media and all the word combinations and abbreviations we use. And you scratch your head thinking, "What does that mean?" It, so. As long as we're on Bondowell, uh, what do we want to call it? news? No, this is a news history. I, I when was I? I was looking up Bondowell, and I didn't know what Bondowell was called before Bondowell. Do you do you know that, Kevin? It was founded by Father Bondowell, but no. It, so don't 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 think I don't know Bondowell history. I can tell okay. you that, but I can't tell you what like, it was called. Was before. he a priest? 
I believe he was a priest in Bondewell. Uh, he, he was yes, a he traveler, was a, a Jesuit yep. missionary. Yep. That's that basically they named the city after, but it was called something else. But there was another city in Wisconsin called that. So they made this Bondewell change their name because it was the same as something else. Yes. Madison. Was it another no. Middleton, was it? No, there's a lot, yeah, like uh, like Black Creek. Because Black Creek was, yeah. Black it, Creek was Middleton? Middleburg, I think. Middleburg, they were, yeah. yeah. It was called Heartland, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's still the town. There's Heartland, yes. Heartland Township. So it was that's, the township, right. Sure, yeah. that's why probably it was the town of Heartland there. Yeah. Yes, that's, so So they couldn't use Heartland as the name for, for the town of uh, Bondwell, the village of Bondwell, I should say, but they decided to compliment the area by naming a township heartland, uh, heartland so that it was right there, in addition yeah. to we really wanted this name but we had to go with this name but we'll no we'll, and and basically who forced them to change it was the post office they, <laughs> they applied to have you know a post office you know basically to be incorporated or get a get a zip code and they're like no nope, we nope. we declined you because we it was rejected because there's already being used duplicate in wisconsin yes see there you so. go the government uh coming to the rescue again as far as telling us how to live our <laughs> lives better i i do have another piece of bondwell news i don't know when it's going to happen but i do know there was a 600 pound black bear harvested near bondwell that's being donated Ooh. to the school to be put in i think the gym Ooh, so they're gonna that's have a nice awesome. big the literal Bondwell Bears yep, is getting they're gonna get a bear they're gonna get a bear for the the school, so that's pretty cool, I thought. So we spent a lot of time on Bondwell and so I'm gonna <laughs> throw something out because it's kinda neat. And uh I had the opportunity to spend four wonderful years up here at Seymour as a high school ag teacher and then had the opportunity to work for UW Extension. It's one thing if you quit something. You don't ever want to have any affiliation or association. You walk away. You you turn your back. You don't want to. That was never the the, the case. And uh, some of the funnest years of my life and my work occurred in the four years up there. I have a goddaughter, Morgan Stajic, and uh, this past year she took an ag class in Bondwell, and uh, the advisor asked if anybody wanted to do the FFA creed, and so. Nobody else stepped up, so she said, eh, I'll give it a crack. When, when Uncle Kevin heard about this, he said... <laughs> he probably lost his mind. Yeah. You know, Morgan, your dad and I you know, may have participated in said contest when we were freshmen students at Bondwell. So uh, I said to her, we're, we're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to put a little time and effort. You're not just going to go through the motions. So uh, there are 10 FFA sections as far as the state is concerned, and so... Uh, that sec- Bondwell resides in Section 8, and uh, you have a district contest, and two people go on from district to sectionals. Well, lo and behold, uh, Morgan finished first at the district. Nice. Now, Let's go. it was a split decision. Two judges gave her first, one gave her second. The second place person got two seconds and a first, and so I was able to say to her, you know, sweetheart, that's great, but, you know, very easily could have gone the other way. There's subjectivity involved in judging these things. So really, really said, all right, if we want to make Especially it next. the creed is a hard thing to judge. It's especially because you're saying the same words. Yeah, right. So it's it's not a different speech. In like some people almost get like too preachy with it. Some are too dramatic, but you need a little dramatic. Like it's, you want to be I, serious, but you yeah. also want to say it with joy. I'm glad I, I get to work an I, egg. Right. Yeah. It's a very, uh, yes, that, that's an intense, what, what other thing can you think of like forensics or other FFA things where you're doing the same speech, basically? I mean, it's yeah, like, there's nothing else like that that I know of. I can't think of anything right. that's exactly When the, they do the Parley same. Pro, is it the same? They do the same motions, but you have to remember it's split out amongst a team. And so you have multiple people and there's random chance of if the person who has to demonstrate how to take something off the table and discuss it, it could be anybody with the creed. It's one One person person. and they have to repeat the same exact thing and you have to compare that to another person. If you ever wanted to introduce the idea of subjectivity, because objectively you're just checking if they said the exact same <laughs> right. word. They've got it's the words the most, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Did, they, did they know how to memorize something and basically recite it? Now the contest really does come down to a huge portion of subjectivity because it's not about the words, 
It's did I like how you said yeah, the words? Yeah, yeah. It's not what you said, Bill. It's how oh, you said yeah. it. It's not what you say. It's how you. Anyways, say. Kevin, you keep going on. We yeah, I cut you off in half no. the story. So no, well, so so it was it was really neat because we really did kind of hunker down, and I think uh, I put my old advisor hat on and is like, well, if we're gonna do this, let's let's compete. You know the the expression uh, Herm Edwards two thousand two Jets. You play. To win the game. Now, Kevin asked to temper things and remind himself he's working with a teenage uh, goddaughter, but no, it, it was all fine. The nice thing is when we got to sectionals, uh, um, it was actually the same day as the rescheduled Farmers Roundtable that was supposed to be March 23rd, or excuse me, February 23rd, that ended March, March 23rd. Yep. I had to drive to uh, New London and try and not get a speeding ticket, uh, <laughs> which I succeeded, but they had already drawn a uh, speaking position and she was in the room giving the contest. So I was like, oh man, I didn't even Missed get to it. wish her good luck. And if this is the end, you know, right. we, we had a good, 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 good run. Well, they announced the awards, and I'm like, okay, they called second, they called third place. She still sees second Ooh, place. Hey. Wait a minute. And the winner is Morgan Stage. Nice. Nice. And she didn't win by a little, she won oh, by the lot. Really? It's kind of like the 96 Packers. Bill, what was the Packers <laughs> rank in offense and defense in 96? They both won. Number one on both sides of the ball. It wasn't even a contest. She uh, And I think the reality there is it wasn't about reciting it. It was the questions that were asked. Yeah, right. And that's where like, yes. I had told her, others won district. So we've already weeded out the people who are just showing up. People are going to all be at the same level. So you have to separate yourself with what you have done and what you believe. And I believe that uh, I was satisfied knowing we spent so much time that's, working on questions. And that's a very good point. There is another part to it, not just reciting the creed. There's questions that go. So, yes, that's a good point. I could just see Kevin as Coach Lombardi in the creed, <laughs> you know, just like do it again. Not good it's, enough. It's funny because my daughter is really big in the forensics, and we actually had a conference with the, the um, supervisor, the the coach, he, he teaches freshman English, so for our son. But anyway, we got talking about forensics, and he's bringing all these old forensics coaches back from other schools to help him. And I see Kevin, like, he's going to retire, oh, yeah. and he's going to put his advisor hat back on and go back into high school to Bondawal or wherever and just be a Creed coach or a Parley Pro coach, and just he's going to come back to, to doing that. Yeah, so you 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 mentioned Packers, and I think you mentioned Lombardi. Did you? Did yes, you not? Oh, yeah. So yeah, I had to uh, back off a little because uh, the statement Lombardi would make to teams is, "Gentlemen, we are going to relentlessly pursue perfection, knowing that it's not attainable, but in the process, we will catch excellence." I already heard that go. Yep. Bill was finishing it for me. So And so Kevin had to step back and remind himself, you're not coaching multi-million dollar played players. You are coaching a young girl who has tests tomorrow, who has yeah. uh, sports, who has a job and all this other stuff. So you say, okay, where where's the best return here and what to focus on? And uh, I think we nailed it at the sectional. So the neat thing is only one goes on from the sectional. So that was do or die. And uh, so she gets to be one of, one of 10 sections at state and at state they divide them up into the even sections two through ten and the odds one through nine they put five people in two heats and only two people from each of those heats mm. advance to the final and i was like okay this is neat i'm looking around at people i still know from my days <laughs> in the 90s teaching their hair is a little grayer or maybe uh not as uh, profoundly present uh uh, but uh, nonetheless got to see some old friends say hi to people and people uh, uh, that I hadn't seen for a while, and uh, then the contest occurs, and it's like, you know what? Just getting here was winning. This is cool. Yep. The, the, yeah. If somebody would have told me at the beginning of the process in November last year that, you know what, deal or no deal, we're going to offer you the chance for her to not just win district but to win sectional and go to state, <laughs> deal, deal, hit that, hit that yeah. buzzer right now because – I'm not going to pretend that I, I think I can coach her part-time compared to ag advisors and alumni who are working with others across the state who have the same aspiration for the youth that they're working in. Yeah. And I think that's the neat thing about ag. 
there's no other industry where there's a reach down and pull up the next mm -hmm. generation or pull up the next person. I'm sure you guys see it with farmers and the operations you get to work with. And even with your business here, as I see you bring on scouts for summertime help and people who've gone from being uh, part-time summer help to now being full-time employees. And I think in agriculture, we just, the word culture is in agriculture and we cultivate not just crops and cattle and commodities but we cultivate the next generation. And I think that if you're in ag for the right reason, giving back is one of the building blocks that sustains this industry and makes it the most important industry, the largest industry, uh, not just in the state of Wisconsin, but when you look at the entire food service sector included into that, the economic impact it has on the um, United States as a whole. So I, I think you hit it on the head there, Kevin, because we've even seen other you know, people that have jobs and almost tell their kids don't do what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. You know, not only are they not cultivating them and giving that culture, they're, they're telling the opposite. Like, Oh, you know, I want you to go do something better than me or different than this because of that. And I've seen it the opposite in agriculture of they try to, to get their kids hooked as early as they can. Some kids, you know, choose not to, which is, which I also think we've done a good job in agriculture now, sort of a, you know being okay with okay, yeah, you can go off and and do that. But I think we've seen that, you know, like you say, that bringing that next generation in is is a huge pride factor for that farm and having them come up in it, and that's a good thing. If anything, they push them off to a different farm. Go work for somebody no, else sure. for a year, and then you can come back. <laughs> that's that's what I was just going to say too. I think one Sorry, of the things man. we've learned. Did you do it? Um, in, in agriculture is that aspect of like, you don't necessarily have to do it the exact same way I'm doing it. Go see what other people are doing and maybe you'll bring back a really good idea. Yep. And it's a way of self-improvement. It's chasing perfection and catching excellence that we've, I think, learned to do a little bit better and not just, well, if you just do it the way I do it because I'm telling you to do it, it's letting them, the next generation learn and see that there are changes we can make that maybe will improve our operations yeah i think i think when you look at it as as a whole that does separate agriculture from other other industries we have people who have 40-hour jobs and they live for saturday and sunday because they can't stand what they're doing the other five days of the week and you know that's and, and farmers it's the opposite they you know and some obviously is forced to work saturdays and sundays at times but they you know, it's it's a it's because they love what they're doing and enjoy it, and I think that next generation sees that too. They don't see them all. You know, yeah, we got to go milk cows again. Dang, it's let's go milk cow. You know, this is what we're doing, and you know, bean like right now, bean harvest is in full swing, and that's fun to see where where you can just see guys just giving her ahead of this rain that's coming. So yeah, I think that next generation even sees it on the macro level, the big level, but even to the micro stuff is. You see them after school out there helping dad and, and, and mom and just the whole family make sure they're there. It's, it's kind of actually helping the family, and I think that's a big deal. You're not just sort of, you know, helping that person or that workplace. You're helping the family, so it's good. I woke up this morning to, um, to uh, WXX local radio, and they always go through what today what today is national this national that and it's actually National Farmers Day, so I woke up to Paul Harvey. He, they played the whole Paul Harvey. Um, that was that Super Bowl commercial. Yes, too, yep, right? that God made thank a farmer. A farmer. God yep. made, yeah, yep. yep. God so made it was, a farmer. it's just fitting today that we had Kevin on because I thought of that when I woke up. Like, oh, how fitting that today's National Farmers Day. Well, and I think we all remember Paul Harvey, whereas today's generations probably don't know him outside of that commercial. Right. That's the rest of the story. Right. And yeah. now the rest of the story. Yep. yep. No. And as far as uh, averages, you know, hypothetically, if I knew a family that had four sons and two of the four sons were directly involved in agriculture and the two other sons were wayward and involved in other, <laughs> other careers, that doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that, you know what? 
batting 500. I don't know a baseball team that won't sign, sign a, someone hitting 500. So no, but everybody should. Life is too short. And I was actually at a service yesterday to um, pay regards to a colleague who passed away. And there was a great poem called The Dash. And it's on your tombstone. You have the date you began and the date you end. And that's nice. But that dash, it's not talked about, and that's the most important thing. What did you do at the time? Mm-hmm. What did you do with uh, um, when you were here and what you could do, not just for yourself, but, but others? And so speaking of others, to circle back to Morgan and the, the riveting tales. Yeah, you of, can't uh, end FFA that story without treat. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, a Packers playoff game, and then the TV goes out. You want to know how it ends, right? So we just keep stopping his story. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so anyway, I'm I'm happy as I'm plum as a peach as far as uh, uh, this is the bee's knees to be at state and to have helped a, a young person and she'd been involved in dance so she had already I knew she had an advantage because she had been in front of an audience before and Bill I think you and yep. I share the commonality with your oldest daughter Audrey uh, have both competed in that realm. Mm-hmm. So I knew she was further ahead than I was at that age or her dad Grant was. We we were throwing bales of hay and talking to the heifers and throwing them feed at night, not uh, performing in front of people, but we had to add the part of reciting. You, you were doing dance, I'm sure. So yeah, just the, yeah. yeah, just in the alleyway. The, the heifers are out. Uh, go, 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 go chase and dance. Go do your chasse to get the heifers, mm-hmm. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, uh, so they had the two heats, and and I was pleasantly surprised when her name got called as one of the four finalists. And so what did that earn her? The opportunity to have to recite it again Again. in an unfamiliar room and situation that echoes differently in the dynamics and a new set of judges to try and limit the subjectivity of only having, oh, someone likes this style versus that style. It's not a wrong it's not a wrong answer. Unfortunately, it's on that day, what do the people like the mm-hmm. most yeah. when you're at that level? And everybody's pretty proficient about what they do as far as presentation. So the, the long and short of it is it was, again, I'd hit the buzzer. She made the final four. Oh, my gosh. I, I would hardly believe that would have been an option. But she finished third in the state overall. Cool. And so that was neat to, to be third. Um, in the state for something that uh, this was her first introduction to FFA as a, a speaking contest. She had helped with feeding the chickens over Christmas break uh, at the school and done things like that. And I, I forgot to mention one of the things that I think is important is one of the things that makes egg so wholesome is it is personal. It's professional, but everything's personal. She had a managerial steer that she worked at, and shout out to Zernike Farms. I uh, went to school with Dan Zernike, and appreciate when you have others who help give youngsters who aren't living on a farm directly the opportunity, because when she was asked questions, I would say, work that in as far as your experience, not just in class, but, oh, out on the farm. Gee, this isn't working the way we saw in the video or what we were told in class. The animal has a mind of its own. Oh, and the animal has good days and bad days when it comes time to <laughs> oh, yeah. lead it and train it and try and get Usually it ready. Usually the bad for the days fair. are when you're in the ring with it. <laughs> yeah. 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 At, at State Fair or somewhere. Yeah. It's. So, so she's, she's the beef whisperer because uh, for someone who, who didn't grow up around animals all the time like uh, some of us did, uh, she did a phenomenal job showing the animal and uh, everything else. And I guess at the, the end of the day, uh, going back to the dash, I think uh, uh, egg is so different because of the where does family separate from business. They're almost intertwined in, in, in a way that... You really can't separate them the way, again, people who have a regular five-day, 40-hour job work week, and it's a definitive beginning and end. We talk about work-life balance. Well, ag has been having to manage work-life balance before the word was even even existed. I think as we're kind of winding down this episode and we're waxing philosophical a little bit, waxing nostalgic... So we're wrapping up 23, which has been a unique year, and I think we could probably do a whole other episode on what you've seen for this year. But what is what is the drier than average condition? What does this year mean for next year? What do you what do you think? Or what are your predictions for for 24? What do we need to happen this winter to 
to have hope for next year? Well, again, as long as we don't have a year like 2019 where we can't even get seed planted, no matter how much precipitation falls or doesn't fall over the winter, farmers are going to till the land. They're going to plant a crop. It's going to happen regardless of, of uh, what, what occurs in between. But I think that this kind of reminds me, I remember in 86, it was very wet. If you didn't have a four-wheel drive tractor, everybody had chains pulling choppers and and corn pickers and combines through the fields. 87 seemed normal, but boy, it got really dry. And we all know what happened. In in the fall of 87, you could take a two-wheel drive tractor and harvest every crop. Why would you spend money on four-wheel drive? You didn't need it. Um, (laughs) Now everything is, right? right. We don't have one that doesn't. Right. Now you hardly order a tractor uh, without front-wheel assist or four-wheel drive. And the reality is fall of 87 it's like wow it got really dry then 88 showed up and it was already dry the previous fall so when you say prediction if i could predict things matt i would have predicted what the uh powerball lottery ticket numbers were and uh, we all may be doing this podcast from a uh, island location with umbrella (laughs) drinks and other things so as far as predictions go uh, can't do that, but what I can do, and people have said, you seem to have a good memory as far as certain years and what happened in years. I get the kind of feel that, okay, we're fall of 87. It was bad, but this wasn't an 88 drought. This wasn't, this wasn't no, a 2012 drought. This was a, this was a bump, and it's almost like a precursor to, I hope not, what I observed in 87 going into 88, even 89, the following year was a dry, dry growing season. It took a while to recover from that because our subsoil was depleted. 1990, June, there was water running across Highway 54 and Black Creek. So you never know what Mother Nature can do. But we, we've had, if we look at the science end of this, we had Roy Eckberg from the National Weather uh, Service uh, come and tell us weather patterns are usually seven to 10 year cycles. He told us uh, following the 2020, or excuse me, 2019 growing season that unfortunately this weather cycle started in 2013. 2012 was mm-hmm. a drought, 2013 was wet, all the alfalfa was dead in the spring. So we only went through six of the years. So he basically told the crowd, yeah, statistically, we've got more of this. I almost had to pull him out of the room before he got bludgeoned. <laughs> uh, Especially by, 20, yeah, yes. we all remember 2019. Uh, right. Yeah. And he said, we're not done yet, folks. And he was right, because spring of 2020, there were ruts in fields in the fall that were dry. But from the spring, when people were trying to spray and apply fertilizer, it was still wet. So if we look at a multi-year cycle, I think we are entering a dry cycle. And I think that we, we are going to have to... Uh, look at our fields the nice thing for alfalfa is a perennial crop if we want any silver lining from the drought the alfalfa should overwinter and insulate mm-hmm. better because of the dry conditions so if we have good alfalfa fields you know if science behaves the way it's supposed to <laughs> we should have alfalfa fields in the spring i think people need to assess things individually as far as uh, crops are concerned but uh, not everything will be bad if we we head into the winter dry but uh, I think I'm glad you brought up alfalfa because Todd let's wrap it up with your last question this one question I've been getting all this fall especially in the last two weeks so we got a factor crap for you Kevin right so is it a fact that's every day of my life or is this just crap (laughs) and the, the the question is if alfalfa gets too tall in the fall Will it smother itself out over winter? So should I take a fifth cut? Do I need to take a fifth cut, or can I just leave it out there? So that question used to be really easy to answer when we planted straight alfalfa stands. Now what do we do? We mix in some grasses so that those low spots that may kill out have something else there. But let's start with with the fact that we still have predominantly straight alfalfa stands. Alfalfa, in the 28 years I've been involved in education, I have never seen alfalfa smother alfalfa. What happens is those plant carcasses will wilt, they will dry down. The problem is they will remain there and may not fully break down. So the following spring, when we do peak scissors clip, 
you could take anywhere from a five or 10 point hit as far as quality. The worst measurement was up to 30, where when you look at a field in May and you can still see the cream colored uh, carcasses from last year. So, but don't co cut your alfalfa field just because you're worried about plant carcasses or stubble uh, being there lower in quality. You can still take a sample and time your harvest correctly the following spring. To answer the question, should we pull the trigger in the fall? Remember what I said about crop budgets and enterprises? Let's, let's go to that point, and we'll come back to the science in a bit. We have the Wisconsin Alfalfa Yield and Persistence Project. We have measured late fall cutting yields from 2007 to now, when those late cuttings occurred. And the average yield is just a tick over a half a ton, 0.51, 0.52. So let's take a half a ton of alfalfa's value. If we have to subtract the cost of cutting, $17, merging, $18, chopping, $65 per acre, you have $100 an acre to run across that field for a half a ton of dry matter. We could argue with the price of alfalfa, it's worth it. But when you do the math, I, which I did last year with lower harvesting costs, you have the potential to gain about $40 to $50 in value of feed. But what you also do is you increase the risk of fall compaction depending on soils. You risk the risk of uh, increase the risk of crown damage due to already having traffic ran over it multiple times. And so what I would say is the problem with alfalfa is we can do everything right. We can let the crop grow out, not cut it intensively, and Mother Nature can have a really bad winter and it gets wiped out. And then people say, Kevin, I did what you said. I took all the precautions. Well, in ag, there are no promises. All we do is we try to mitigate risk, letting the stand grow out, having the winter cover, having good fertility as far as potassium, correct pH increases the probability that stand will be there next year, but it's out of our hands. It's not controllable what Mother Nature does over the winter. As far as taking that final cut, what I would say is that we harvested a stand years ago where we took the late, late cutting and left it. And then in the next spring, we came back and compared the two. We got approximately a half a ton of dry matter off of that, that fall cutting. But guess what? The following spring, where we didn't harvest, it was 1.8 tons of dry matter. Where we did, it was 1.3. <laughs> <laughs> when you compare a late fall cut to first cutting, the difference is harvesting costs are an elective in the fall. You choose to do that. Harvesting in the spring is a fixed cost. Everybody's going to harvest first crop alfalfa. It's Even though it's a variable cost, it's fixed because you're going to do it. When you add that extra pass in the fall, you increase the risk that if it's a poor winter or any air conditions aren't at a high level, excellence as far as not perfection but trying to have good things, you increase the probability that that plant may not not may, may not make it through the winter. Here's the, the, the final analogy I'll give on this topic. If I push Matt outside in the wintertime without a jacket, does he get sick? Maybe, maybe not. If I push Matt outside in the wintertime without a jacket and only one meal instead of three, does he get sick? Maybe, maybe not. If I push out Matt outside in the wintertime without a jacket, one meal instead of three, and no sleep, does he get sick? He gets the, crabby. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, working for Tilth Agronomy, he's already used to no sleep. So the last, last stressor probably doesn't impact him uh, all that much. But if it's 30 below outside versus 30 air temperature, not having a coat might impact. Bottom line is if you're well-rested and you're well-fed, you can step out in the wintertime without a jacket on and not get sick. But if you're tired, you're hungry, and now you don't have protective clothing, leaving that stubble, catching snow cover, and then Mother Nature will melt it off in the uh, middle of January and mess up your plans. Bottom line is you try to mitigate risk and taking a fall cutting. Alfalfa will not kill itself. It will not commit suicide or um, be lost because you left stubble out there. May you have the inconvenience of having to deal with that stubble and factor it in for quality and first crop? Yeah, that's a possibility, but it's closer to 5 or 10 most likely, not 30. 30 is the extreme. It's the worst case scenario. And so my recommendation generally would be if you're going to rotate the field, go ahead. You decide if you need the feed and it's mm -hmm. that much, harvest it. If it's the first full production year and you want to keep that stand around for two, three more production years, then maybe be a little more conservative. So crap. Factor crap, it's crap. It's crap. Yep. See, that's why I need to do things in a group. You ask me factor crap, <laughs> and all I did is give this long <laughs> philosophy professor, professorial type explanation, and Bill has known me the longest at this table, so he just said, 
crap, Kevin. All you had to say is crap. <laughs> you could have saved us all this time in windbag if you just would have answered the question. Again, I'm trying to stay true to work to the government, front working, representing the government. The government doesn't give straight, concise, practical answers. If it did, I'll stop there. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Kevin. It was a pleasure talking to you today. This was fun. I'd yeah. be happy to come back again, guys. Great. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, we always appreciate having Packers yeah. owner. We did. We even glanced by the the Supreme Judge or what. Yeah, we'll yeah. have to talk about that sometime, too. So We'll save that for another day. And he was our first guest ever. Original, yeah, he yes. Was, he's yeah, the original. OG, OG guest. guest. Yes. So. OG, again, we talked about coming full circle. I forgot about that. that yep. Yeah. Just it was like, like I got my start up here at Seymour High School. Uh, uh, I got my start as far as podcast with Tilt <laughs> That was right before COVID, yeah. too. Because remember, yep. we were talking about it, and you had said, like, yeah, this is, you know, like, wonder what will go on with this thing. It's kind of weird. And then all we of a sudden, We taped it on later. a Thursday, and on Friday afternoon in the office, we were told to grab our computers and go home and be prepared <laughs> to not close. come. That close it was. We wow. taped on a Thursday. Yeah. I had just come from a large gathering on Tuesday and Wednesday in Madison, and everyone was talking, this, this is real? We're going to have to change or do something? Well, we'll inform you. Well, I see you guys the next morning, and then not less than 24 hours, it's like, get out of the office. You are not to come here. All right. Well, there you go. We've been talking with Kevin Jarek, the crops and soils agent for Outagamia and Winnebago counties with the UW-Madison Division of Extension. So thanks again, Kevin. And thanks you guys for being here today. Thanks for having us, Matt. And thank you for listening. And as always, happy farming.